This is the Smart Communications Smart Communications Smart Communications Podcast. Developing the voices voices, voices. Developing, developing the, the voices, voices determine nonprofits. Brought to you by Big Duck. Welcome to the Smart Communications Podcast. I am Sarah Durham, and I am joined today by Chandra Hazlett, who's the Communications Director at the Center for Constitutional Rights. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm delighted to have you here. Chandra is going to talk to us today about something very meta. We're going to talk about podcasting on a podcast. Chandra launched a podcast for the Center for Constitutional Rights earlier this year. We're going to learn all about why and how that's working. But before we dig in, I just want to tell you a little bit about her and give her a chance to introduce the center. She has been at the Center for Constitutional Rights for about a year. At CCR, she's responsible for leading the overall development of communication strategy and guiding the department's coordination with their legal and advocacy departments and case-specific communications plans, which is no easy task. You have how many issues areas? We have 14 issue areas, but 50 active cases. Wow. So it's a lot. That's a lot of communications plans. Before that, she was the managing supervisor at GNS Business Communications. She's a Bachelor of Arts in African-American Studies from the University of Tennessee at Knoxville. Her honors include a Pulitzer Prize staff award for breaking news at the Star-Ledger, the Society of Professional Journalists Deadline Reporting Award, Gannett Newspaper's Project Enterprise Well Done Citation, the Home News Tribune's Rising Star Reporter's Honor, Responsible Journalism Award from the New Jersey Press Association, and Best New Diversity Initiative by the PR Council and PR Week. Not too shabby. (laughs) Thank you. So, Chandra, tell us a little bit about the Center for Constitutional Rights. The Center for Constitutional Rights is a nonprofit legal advocacy and education organization. We're 52 years old this year, and we actually have 52 employees. I just counted yesterday because we're getting new headshots. (laughs) (laughs) But like I said, we have 14 issue areas 50 active cases, and some of the issue areas are abusive immigration rights, Guantanamo. We were the first nonprofit to file a lawsuit against the government based on the detainees at Guantanamo Bay. Government surveillance, drone killings, discriminatory policing were also the organization behind the successful lawsuit against NYPD stop and frisk, LGBTQI persecution issues, Muslim profiling. So it kind of runs the gamut. Most of our clients are black and brown. They're marginalized. We work with social justice movements and really take the lead from what's happening on the ground to uplift the social justice movements in a legal and advocacy manner. Awesome. And earlier this year, you launched this podcast that is aptly called The Activist Files. Yes. And on it, you feature stories of people on the front line fighting for justice. So activists, lawyers, artists, and each episode is 10 or 15 minutes long or longer. We aim for about 20 to 25 minutes. And again, it's activists, lawyers, storytellers. We have the saying at Um, Center for Constitutional Rights, where if you bring an activist, lawyer, and storyteller in the room, you can change the world. So most of our guests fall within those categories. So why did you decide to start a podcast? I mean, in the past 10 years, we've seen more and more nonprofits launching blogs, some launching YouTube channels, everybody's on social media, but why podcast? We want it to reach a younger audience at CCR. We are really grateful for the audience that we have. It's a broad audience. Our audience includes donors, and it tends to veer toward a certain age group. So we really thought our podcast could be a way to reach a younger audience, to partner with activist lawyers and storytellers, to to talk about issues that touch our cases, but not 
specifically our cases because we also have a weekly blog that highlights our cases. And we really were looking for an outlet to bring in people to talk about issues that are related to our cases, but not necessarily cases we are filing at Center for Constitutional Rights. There's also something powerful about the humanity of the voice in a podcast, mm-hmm. oftentimes in in the work we've done with organizations that are heavily staffed by lawyers, the written word can get a little bit plotting uh, when there are a lot of lawyers involved. Yeah. And I I imagine there's something about uh, the power of conversation. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, we bring in these people who are really interesting. And when I'm editing and listening to it, if I'm not in the recording room and I'm listening to the podcast and an editing mind frame, I will literally Google the person because their voice makes me want to see who they are, what they look like, and find out more about them. And the conversations are really natural. They're interesting. And it's it's been fun so far. One of the reasons we started podcasting is that it is actually a really pretty easy medium to work in. Mm-hmm. And I would expect more and more nonprofits will figure that out and start to do it. There also seems to be much more of a critical mass of people listening to podcasts these days. We actually had a podcast maybe 10 years ago called The Nonprofit Jungle. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of fun making it, but nobody really was listening to it. (laughs) And so we killed it. And Uh then when we launched this podcast, we did so because we kept hearing people saying, I love podcasts. I listen to them on my commute time, in the car, on the subway, et cetera. Are you finding as you've launched yours that you're connecting with the people you expected to connect with? I think we're connecting with new people. I didn't have any expectations about who we would connect with outside of just the guest sharing the podcast with their friends. But it's a lot of new people. And I think we had a podcast launch party maybe about three, four weeks ago. And there were a ton of new people in the room. That made me happy. It made my boss happy. The editorial team, we were really excited because we were like, okay, who are these people? How do they know about CCR? I went in with no expectations, but have been really happy with who we're finding out or listening to our podcast. And your party was interesting because it was a silent party. Yes. Can you explain how that worked? Yeah, sure. So everyone in the room had on a set of headphones. And at the time, we had four podcasts. One was a bonus episode. So we had the three kind of real episodes on the podcast. People could switch from the different channels and the headphones would light up based on what podcast you were listening to. And I think the colors were red, blue, and green. So if you saw someone whose headphones were red, you could maybe go up to them and be like, hey, what did you think about that particular podcast? So it was really cool. We had like light music playing in the background. Part of our podcast, the end is called The Real AF for the activist files, The Real Activist Files. And it's would you rather questions. So we did live would you rather questions at the podcast party. And we were celebrating the fact that we were on iTunes and now we're also on Spotify. And one of the things that is, I think, challenging is uh, to know exactly who is listening. I mean, what we have found and others I've spoken to have found is that there are metrics that you can look at in iTunes and on your distribution channel, but they're more reflective of downloads, not necessarily Mm -hmm. people who are live streaming, and they don't always aggregate correctly. So you're trying to reach a younger audience with this. Having a launch party is one way to kind Mm -hmm. of start to get a feel of like who's coming to the party, how can you leverage your networks, but how are you measuring the value of this podcast in terms of reaching those new audiences at this point? We've gotten a couple of emails about, you know, this is great. Of course, there were people at the party who were listening and gave us feedback. But we're so young right now, it's a little hard to measure who's listening, but definitely looking for ways to do that. Yeah, and maybe that will emerge through some sort of combination of supportive media. 
podcasting in many ways is still a broadcast vehicle. It's mm-hmm. a little bit traditional. It's a little bit, you know, one way. But when you start to use it to open up conversations on the topic in Facebook or in LinkedIn or something, you start to make it a little bit more engaging. Mm -hmm. And do you find that there is any data that is emerging? I mean, you're about four or five episodes published at this point, but is there any data emerging yet that is helping you get your arms around the value of it in in any kind of measurable way yet? So our first podcast, we had like 862 downloads, which I was shocked. Great. Yeah. And then the numbers have kind of tapered off a bit. There was a lot of excitement around the first one. We did a lot to let people know. Our podcast is monthly, and it comes out the second Thursday of every month. So we always do an email blast. We put it in our blog, which comes out every Monday. It's the front lines of justice. So we're doing a lot of different types of outreach. But as far as to get those numbers up, just trying to reiterate for people to follow us on iTunes and to rate and review us and to follow us on Spotify. Yeah, that the the idea of a, any piece of content getting repurposed across mm-hmm. multiple channels, I think, is really central to its success. So mm-hmm. promoting it in social, having it in email, yeah. all those kinds of things. I mean, I think it's probably not unlike other forms of journalism where there's this misnomer, you know, if we build it, they will come. Right. They're coming, but very slowly. And I'm trying to, like I said, I didn't go in with any expectations, but I think just my mindset is the numbers need to be high for it to be successful. But the fact that we are still doing this and we're four or five months in and we're kind of in our rhythm right now, we have three podcasts in the can and we're recording another one next week and one launched last week. So I feel like we're in a really good place. And to me, that's success. Tell us a little bit about how you're actually technically producing it. There's a wide range of ways to produce podcasts, mm-hmm. and you guys are doing it in a way where you're you're going for maximum production value, but in the scrappiest, most DIY way it is possible. so scrappy and so DIY. We are using a conference room. You're fortunate enough to have a room dedicated to your podcast. We grab a conference room that's And so we have kind of been floating from conference room to conference room. We have our preference, but, you know, it's 52 people in our office and we're all sharing these three conference rooms. So it's very scrappy and in that sense that we don't have a dedicated room. We do have mics and we have that type of equipment and we're really learning as we're going along. We have one person on our editorial team who had a personal podcast a couple of years ago. And so we're looking to him and it's Ian Head, one of our co-hosts. We're looking to him a lot for direction, but it's really trial and error. And is Ian, Ian editing your podcasts in-house currently? Charles Green, our web manager, is editing. So he had to like learn this editing software kind of on the whim. So I will normally go in and do a line edit. Literally, like I'm listening to the podcast and I'm like, at three minutes and 32 seconds, there was a cough. Can you take that out? And so we're looking for a better way to do that, a more efficient way. And then I send all of those line edits to Charles. He will edit via software and then send it back to me. And then I'll do like a content edit. So again, it's trial and error. And we are looking for more efficient ways to do this because everyone's so busy at CCR. But this is a labor of love and everyone's really dedicated to it. The way you're producing it in-house is a great way to really understand what goes into producing it. It's a lot of work. Get your arms around it. It is a lot of work. Mm -hmm. One of the bees that's been in my bonnet for a long time is calculating the value of staff time as a hard cost. Yeah. Because when you produce something like this in-house, there is a real investment Mm -hmm. that you're making that the time you're line editing is time you're not doing other things. Exactly. 
for those of you who are curious, the way we produce our podcast is, as Chandra said, we have a room in our office and it's got, you know, weird baffled sound things up on the wall. (laughs) We've got fancy microphones and headsets. We also have a portable mic. So if we go out into the field, we can do some recording on the fly. And then we upload a digital file to a freelance producer and he takes out all the errs and ums and edits things together. So we hopefully sound a little bit smarter. And so we are investing the money Mm -hmm. in that to not do the work. But I think the kind of production value you need almost is a branding issue. You know, I think if you are an organization that is producing a podcast called The Activist Files and you're really trying to to kind of communicate and connect with a grassroots audience, rougher production is going to be fine. It's going to be on brand. I would agree with that completely. Yeah. Yeah. No one's expecting us to come out of the gate and be top quality because this is Center for Constitutional Rights is not a podcast organization. This is just one of the things that we do. Right. This is both a marketing tool and really a programmatic tool in Mm -hmm. a way. It's a way you can sort of augment the programs. Yeah. I also think there is a question that it kind of emerges with this sort of media about the trade-off of something like podcasting versus blogging versus video. And I'm curious for you as a journalist, how you think about these different thought leadership platforms, the sort of pros and cons of different thought leadership platforms. I'm really big on thought leadership and really trying to get our legal and advocacy staff who are talking to the media a lot to think about different ways to approach thought leadership. So I like the fact that we've added another element to thought leadership and that when we're pitching our experts, we can point them to the podcast. We try not to bring in staff a lot to do podcasts. We really want to bring in people from the outside. But we have had a couple of CCR staff people as guests or they come in to interview. And it's just another way for them to point to their expertise through the podcast. Yeah. So thinking about podcasting and other thought leadership platforms, but particularly launching a new one Mm -hmm. like this, let's do some tips. I feel like I've learned a ton podcasting and maintaining a thought leadership machine. What do you recommend? What tips would you give to an organization that's considering podcasting? Right now, we're in a good place because we have a couple of in the can, but this is very new for us. Like within the last month, we've had some in the can, but in the beginning, it was really hard as far as finding speakers. So we put together the speaker list. We did a wide outreach within the staff. Send us people you know who you think would be good for the podcast and just, you know, scheduling issues. So I would really tell people to go with the flow with the scheduling and be really open because people will cancel on you at the last minute. And so just kind of be prepared for that. If you're doing outreach to guests who are not within your organization, maybe have an in-house backup because things happen. So people will cancel on you and you can't let yourself get too frustrated about that. We've always recorded many more podcasts than we've released. And that helps too. That way, if somebody doesn't show up, you know, you're okay because you've got some in the can. I'm a big fan of that for blogging and really Mm -hmm. any thought leadership, because particularly if you're working in an area where you might have to be news reactive or unexpected things come up, the more you've got stuff backlogged, the more reliably you'll be able to maintain a consistent release schedule. And Mm -hmm. a consistent release schedule becomes really important, I think, in any media. If you build a listener base, you want them to know for sure that they can tune in and get your podcast every week or every other week. Yeah, definitely. And we're now at the point where we're trying to do more evergreen podcasts. So when they are in the can, we can pull them out whenever we need them. 
and it's not a guest who's responding to something that happened in the news yesterday or last week. Another tip I would give people is just in terms of getting the most out of a podcast or any recording, this is true for webinars and videos too, is to transcribe them Mm -hmm. and post them on the website. I teach a day-long workshop in content planning and management. This is one of the things we talk about is search engine optimization. Mm -hmm. So if you visit our website, you'll see we link to the recording, as do you. And then we also post the transcript. And I would be surprised if there are people actually read the the podcast transcript. But the bots do. Google does. Mm -hmm. And that will also give you a lift when somebody searches something that's related to the content. So that's good. Yeah, that's a great idea. We're definitely looking into that. There are two tools you can use for that. The one that we prefer is called Mm rev.com. And they also take out all the errs and ums and things in the transcript. There's another one called Temi, T-E-M-I, which is done digitally. So if you've already edited your podcast and it's nice and clean, Temi will be good. It'll give you a clean result. But there's a little bit more manual labor you have to do in Temi Mm -hmm. as opposed to rev.com. Well, we're used to the manual labor, so. (laughs) (laughs) And once that podcast goes live... I'm also a very big fan of thinking about all the ways you can use it. Who should you email? Should you send it to a board member? Do you weave it in somehow to other media you're doing? Yeah, our email blast includes board members. It's always in our Frontlines of Justice newsletter that comes out every month. We share it on social media. And I'm actually going to start just taking people's phones and subscribing them myself. I just really want to get our numbers up. And it's not about the numbers. It's really about the content and the fact that we're doing this. But, you know, high numbers are good. Yeah. Having that simple call to action wherever you go. Hey, would you listen to my podcast? Would you subscribe to the podcast? Can really help. And we have started including that in our talking points when we're doing events just to kind of plug the activist files. So, yeah. Great. Well, Chandra, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Happy podcasting. Yes. If you are like me, you are probably listening to this podcast on your iPhone. And a lot of people don't know that you can rate and review podcasts pretty easily on an iPhone, but it's a little bit buried. So I wanted to tell you how to do that. And I'm hoping that if you like this podcast, you'll take a minute to scroll down, rate it, review it, maybe share it. So what you do is open up your podcast app library and click on the Smart Communications Podcast. You'll see all of our episodes there. So if there's something you've missed and you want to go back, and check it out. You can do so there. And as you scroll down, you'll see a section that's called ratings and reviews. And in that, you can give us anywhere from one to five stars, and you can even write a review or you can share the podcast with a friend. So I hope if you like it, you'll take time to share it, rate it. And we're also always eager to hear what you think directly. So don't hesitate to drop us a line. You can email us at hello at bigduckNYC.com. That's hello at bigduckNYC.com. Thanks for listening. This is the Smart Communications Podcast, developing the voices of determined nonprofits. Brought to you by Big Duck. Big Duck is an agency that puts smart communications in the hands of nonprofits. We help our nonprofit clients develop strong brands, strong campaigns, and strong teams that advance their missions and achieve their goals. Connect with us at bigduckNYC.com.